You're listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. This is Harry Sambasava, Associate Director of Equity Research at BMO Capital Markets. Welcome to this edition of BMO's Intune Podcasts. Just before we begin, I would like to say that we are all working at home, so the audio quality may not be up to your usual standards, but we will try our best. For this edition of the Intune Podcast, I'm joined by Devin Dodge, uh, our Canadian Industrial Products Analyst and by Jeff Silber, our U.S. Industrial and Business Services Analyst. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Devin Dodge. Devin, over to you. All right. Thanks, Harry. Uh, so we're here to talk about the uh, waste services industry. I'm going to start with the uh, solid waste space and why we think these stocks are attractive. I think that really starts with uh, the defensive attributes that these businesses bring, starting with volumes. I think these just tend to be relatively steady through the economic cycle, that's particularly true on the residential collection side. Uh, on pricing, you know, a significant portion of the contracts have annual pricing escalators. Uh, this is usually based on some form of a CPI metric. And I think this allows pricing to be very resilient. Uh, even in the 0809 recession, we saw solid waste pricing remain positive there. Uh, when you combine the steady volumes uh, and the solid pricing, we just think this has these businesses have really good visibility into revenue and earnings. That's really superior to nearly all other uh, industrial companies that we cover. These companies are also well known uh, to be good free cash flow generators, uh, which in turn supports dividends and share buybacks. It also allows them to self-fund their M&A activity. That covers a lot of the reasons why we like solid waste stocks, I would say, in normal times. Uh, clearly, the current environment is far from normal. The impact of COVID-19 uh, is top of mind. We spent a lot of time thinking about the impacts and speaking to stakeholders. Jeff, perhaps you can kick it off uh, with a closer look at uh, what we see for residential collection services. Great. Thanks, Devin. Um, before we get into the expected uh, COVID-19 impact, I just want to provide some background on what's been happening on the residential side in recent years. Now, you're probably most familiar with residential waste collection from your own trash pickup, but I'm guessing it's something you probably don't think a lot about after you take your trash down to the curb. Now, now, we think the residential segment is the most fragmented component within the industry. It's got the lowest barriers to entry. Really, all you need is a truck to collect and haul trash. It's also very rare that one company handles all the collections for one residential community, especially the larger ones. Now, now residential volume trends are typically tied to population or changes in housing units, and, and the latter of which do have a, a somewhat of a cyclical component. Over the past decade, most of the companies we cover have seen residential volumes grow at about 1% annually on average. Um, Devin talked about pricing. Most of the municipal contracts are in the three to five year range. They have these annual price escalators based on inflation. Now in the US, most of the contracts reprice on July 1, which is the beginning of the municipality's fiscal year, but it's based on inflation in the prior calendar year. So for example, the price increases that are going to go into effect this July 1st in a couple months are based on inflation in calendar year 2019. So these companies really do have fairly good visibility on prices. And also, at least in the U.S., many of the companies have been shifting the price escalator 
from a broader CPI index to one that just focuses on the trash industry. And that's where costs have been increasing actually at a faster rate than overall inflation, mainly due to labor costs. Um, in recent years, we've seen residential prices increasing at the three plus percent range. So you take that plus the 1% volume increases, and that gets you to mid-single-digit annual growth, which the industry has been enjoying for the past few years. Now, despite the housing unit exposure, residential is probably the least economically sensitive sector within waste collection. So with the current crisis and the economic uncertainty that it's brought, the larger your exposure to residential collection, the relatively better off you are. And for the four solid waste names we cover, which would be Waste Management, WM, Republic Services Group, RSG, Waste Connection, WCN, and GFL Environmental, GFL is a ticker. Um, residential collection is among their largest revenue streams, ranging from about 26% of revenues at WCN to about 17% at WM. Okay, so that's the background. Now, how has this crisis impacted residential waste collection? The good thing is that trash collection has been deemed a, an essential service. So this service has not been disrupted. In fact, with more folks that are staying at home, the amount of residential trash being produced and collected is actually increasing. Now, the numbers seem to be varying widely. We found a presentation that RSG gave to their customers estimating a 30% increase in residential volumes. GFL a few weeks ago stated that the volumes in the greater Toronto area have been increasing in the 12% range. Whatever the number is, volumes are rising. So you would think that would be a good thing, but unfortunately this may not totally be true, especially in the U.S. Now, for the most part, the U.S. residential system follows what's called a services-based billing, meaning that waste services companies try to figure out ahead of time what type of volumes they'll collect, what it's gonna cost them to do, to do so, and how much they need to charge. Um, when volumes increase, however, they may not be able to charge more, but some of their own costs, like disposing that waste, may increase, since that's usually charged based on weight. So many of the U.S. companies have been trying to reduce services in other area, like limiting, picking up recycling, yard waste, other bulk pickups, to try to hold on to their margins without having to increase prices because increasing prices would probably be tough to do in this environment. Now, one more thing, here's where Canada does have an advantage. Many of the larger contracts on the residential side in Canada are, waste, are weight-based. So when volumes increase, so does what they charge. So of our covered companies, GFL probably has the biggest advantage there with their Canadian exposure. It's about 29% of their residential revenues. WCN is number two at about 15 Waste management's about five, and Republic Services virtually has no Canadian presence. So that's kind of what's been going on on the residential side. And, and Devin, why don't you talk about what's going on on the commercial and industrial side? Right. Uh, so, you know, commercial, industrial, construction, you know, these are the lines of business that are likely to be most impacted, I think, by COVID-19 restrictions. And maybe just as a, as a starting point, you know, commercial collection refers to the pickup of waste from the containers that you'd see behind restaurants and retailers and other small businesses. Revenues are based on a per stop basis. Uh, customers get to choose a service frequency that meets their needs. So in a normal downturn, where you'd have more of a, a slowing of demand, it usually takes about six to nine months for service frequencies with volumes. And this provides a bit of a tailwind for solid waste players. You know, Think of this as getting paid the same to pick up the waste, but the container may only be half full. Now, what's different this time around 
is that demand isn't just slowing. Uh, in many cases, it's being cut drastically in some cases or even stopped altogether. We expect this to lead to a very quick adjustment uh, to service frequencies. So for commercial collection services, one of the key profit drivers is route density. Uh, and this is going to be a challenge for waste collectors uh, until all or more of its uh, customers reopen. Now, shifting over to the roll-off business, this includes the uh, industrial and construction sectors. This is also a challenge given some of the COVID-19 restrictions put in place uh, with some of the businesses and construction projects uh, temporarily shutting down. There's been a wide range of impacts here depending on the geography. You know, certain markets we've seen nearly all construction activity grind to a halt and there's others where they're nearly unaffected. Uh, so while there is still, still some uncertainty as to the degree of the volumes uh, drop off there, there have been some potential early signs that the downturn may not be as bad as some, including us, had feared. You know, in his recent uh, COVID-19 update, GFL indicated its rollout business had been the most impacted. Uh, the company's parked about 20% of its fleet. Uh, there's a suggestion that, you know, due to less traffic on the roads, productivity of the truck, remaining trucks uh, could actually be higher, uh, which to us means that revenue declines in this line of business could be less than that 20%. So in our discussions with investors, we think expectations for volume declines in these lines of business are more in the 30 to 50% range in Q2. So perhaps that volume weakness that we're likely to see is maybe not quite as bad as feared. When we think about the big biggest risk to the solid waste industry right now, I'd say that the COVID-19 uh, lockdown lasting longer than expected uh, you know, could lead to a rise in business failures uh, and maybe a more permanent reduction in commercial waste volumes. So we've covered off a lot on the construction side or the collection side of the business. Uh, Jeff, I guess, what are you seeing in terms of trends for disposal services? Okay, great. Um, so I'll pick it up here again. We're following this waste stream. doesn't matter if it's collected from a house, from a restaurant, from an office building. Most of the waste ends up in what's called a transfer station, and that's where the materials are sorted, recyclables are removed, et cetera, and the bulk of what's left gets sent to landfills. Now, landfills is where the disposal happens, and it's the most concentrated area within the whole stream. Um, if you look at the U.S., of the 10 largest landfills, Waste Management WNs owns four of them. They actually could add number five when they complete their merger with advanced disposal this quarter and Republic Services owns three. Now this concentration gives these companies lots of pricing power. And what we've seen is landfill pricing, which is known as tipping fees, have also been increasing at the three plus percent range. But the landfill component is typically the most capital intensive. These landfills need to be monitored to ensure like byproducts like leachate and methane gas are not leaking out in the general community. And you also have to invest years in advance to make sure you've got enough capacity to manage volume growth. Now, in many densely populated areas in the U.S., like in the Northeast, there's a shortage of capacity. We're not adding much because there's really physically no room. And that's another reason why we've really seen strong pricing power on the landfill side. Finally, these landfills are usually among the most profitable components within the whole collection and disposal process, given their high amount of fixed costs. So when volumes are increasing, that's a good thing. Now, we're seeing the flip side in the current crisis. We mentioned residential volumes are increasing, but commercial and industrial volumes are falling. Unfortunately, I don't think one is offset the other. In fact, one of the companies that we don't cover, Casella Waste, CWST is the ticker. They recently stated that their landfill volumes overall are down about 5%. Um, earlier this week, I stumbled upon an article where a district manager from waste management said, 
that their landfill volumes were down 25% nationwide. Um, I found that statistic shocking. Um, I don't think the company realized that he was talking to reporters. So it's going to be interesting to see when they report in a couple of weeks what they disclose. But in any case, um, volumes are down. Now, tipping fees also differ by waste type. Commercial and industrial waste disposal is charged more than residential waste. So if you own a landfill now while you're still making money, if you're flipping the, the switch or the mix from commercial industrial to residential, it's just not going to be as profitable as it was a couple months ago. Here again is where Canada has an advantage. In the U.S., we mentioned the larger waste collectors themselves own and operate most of the landfills, and they make money charging others to dispose there. In Canada, it's what's known as a disposal neutral market for the most part, and there's a disproportionate percentage of ownership of these landfills by government entities. So when you see a drop in landfill volumes, it doesn't really have as much of a margin impact on the Canadian collectors. Uh, again, most are, among our covered companies, GFL comes out a quote-unquote winner here. They've got less landfill exposure because of their Canadian presence. Now, now, one more thing. There are some fears when we've been talking to investors that we could see some price competition in this aspect of the waste stream as landfills and other disposal facilities like these energy from waste plants or these incinerators compete for volumes in this environment. We really haven't seen that in a long time but we're really in uncharted waters here. So it's going to be interesting to see if that's the case over the next uh, few months or so. Uh, so that's it for landfills. Devin, why don't you talk a little bit more about some of the margins and the cost structure that's going on in the industry? Right. Okay. So when we think about this revenue softness uh, that we're likely to see, we think there's a number of levers for solid waste businesses to help offset that weakness and maybe moderate that the decremental margins you're, we're likely to see. I think first and foremost would be uh, labor, specifically direct labor. That's about 20% of revenue. And we should see these come down, I think both from fewer hours worked, but also less overtime. Overtime tends to be about 10 to 20% of total labor hours. Uh, fuel costs are expected to come down. That's due to both lower price per gallon, as well as fewer miles driven. I think that decrease in mileage should also be a benefit to maintenance costs. Another thing we've seen is the value of RINs. Uh, they've been recovering in early 2020. These are renewable energy credits that are generated at certain landfills. Uh, RINs have a very high flow through to earnings, uh, and a continued recovery could further offset uh, some of that top-line weakness. Uh, so last thing I'll mention here is the expected reduction in CapEx. I think you'll see capital spending come down closer to maintenance capital levels, uh, which for the solid waste players would be about 9 to 10% of revenue. You know, with the lower volumes available in the market, there's just simply the less need for trucks, uh, containers, and landfill cell development and expansions. So, so far, we've focused on the solid waste business, uh, but these companies have diversified their operations, I'd say, to, to various degrees. Uh, Jeff, I guess, what challenges are, are you seeing or what challenges and opportunities are these companies seeing outside of their core solid waste business? So that's a great question. So I'm, I'm going to address a few areas. Let me focus first on recycling. And, and for those of you that have been following this industry, you know that recycling has been a headwind for the past few years. Now, historically in the U.S., most of these solid waste collectors took in recycling as part of their overall trash service, and they made most of their money on the back end selling these recyclable commodities. The largest commodity was OCC, old corrugated cardboard, and the large cardboard. And the largest buyer was China, which bought about 75% of this material. Now, that all changed in the fall of 2017. Um, China adopted a number of new policies, including National Sword, which in essence stated that they did not want to be the world's garbage dump anymore. 
they lowered the contamination rate they were willing to accept, and that reduced OCC demand. And then prices themselves cratered to a low $22 a ton uh, back in last November. It was ranging from like $150 to $185 a ton before they started this in 2017. Now, the good thing is, is that recycling was never a big part of the revenue stream for these companies. Um, in 2016, the last full year before these policies, waste management had the most exposure in the high single digits of revenues. But, but nevertheless, the sharp decline in both the demand for and price of OCC really could have been a real killer, but the industry has been really resilient. They've shifted a lot of the contracts to charge a recycling processing fee to mitigate the damage. Okay, that's what was happening. Now let's talk about the, uh, what's been happening now with the coronavirus. Now, OCC pricing, ironically, has been picking up since the beginning of this year, and the crisis accelerate that because China, where the lockdown started earlier, halted their own domestic production. Prices rose to about $71 a ton in April from $44 in March. In addition, you think about all these Amazon orders that we're all doing right now, that needs packaging, so cardboard demand has been increasing as well. Uh, but as we talked about earlier, the North American haulers are not collecting as much recycling uh, to keep the collecting costs down. And then we've also seen a shift from commercial volumes to residential volumes, and that doesn't help because residential recycling tends to be more highly contaminated. Most folks, including my family, just dumped everything in one bin. So the increase in OCC prices may not be having that much of a benefit. Let me shift over to waste or energy waste disposal. This is mostly from EMP companies. Obviously, with the sharp decline in oil prices and the disputes going on with Saudi Arabia and Russia, we've seen a lot of less drilling, meaning there's less EMP waste. Now, luckily, again, this has not been a big component of these businesses. Uh, I think it ranged from about 5% of revenues at WCN, the very low single digits of most of the other companies. But again, uh, another headwind for the sector. Um, finally, one more. We, a number of the companies have add-on services like uh, infrastructural soil remediation and liquid waste collection. And GFL is actually one of the few companies that breaks this out separately. In, in 2019, I think it was about 16% and 11% of the revenues, if I remember correctly. Um, but we do believe that the other companies have some exposure here as well, but to a lesser extent. Now, GFL did provide an update last week. They said that most of the infrastructure soil remediation revenue was primarily in Ontario, and the majority of construction projects were still ongoing. But there have been reduced volumes in other markets where activity has stopped. Um, on the liquid waste side, that business has been impacted by the closure of a lot of non-essential business, which has reduced volumes. Um, it's been compounded a bit on the used motor oil side, where lower oil prices have actually reduced the spread that these companies were getting from reselling the re-refined motor oil. We've also seen reduced demand for motor oil because people are driving less. So, some of the relative benefits that I mentioned GFL was seeing on the residential and landfill side compared to their U.S. peers might be offset with some of the issues that we're seeing here. So that's what's been going on. Um, Devin, can you talk about what the impact might be for the growth strategies for these companies going forward? So it's a good question. Uh, I mentioned earlier, one of the things that makes solid waste a good investment is its organic growth. And you know, to be honest, I don't see that changing. However, uh, with parts of the economy shut down, I think we're expecting a bit of softness uh, in organic growth in Q2, uh, potentially with a sequential improvement uh, beginning sometime in the back half of the year. So we're expecting the pace of pricing growth uh, to pull back a bit in Q2. This is due to a lack of rate hikes, uh, as well as some rollbacks issued to commercial customers to help them get through this uh, soft spot. Uh, 
Now, how long this dip in pricing lasts will ultimately be determined by the length of the, of the slowdown that we see. And of course, the other main lever uh, for growth is M&A. Uh, given the widespread shelter-in-place restrictions, it's just been really tough uh, to do uh, due diligence. So we're likely to see that slow down in the near term. However, we think there's growing optimism that uh, waste sector M&A could be quite strong uh, beginning in the second half. We think there are a number of factors that could bring uh, seller interest up. Uh, this would include limited access to capital, uh, the challenging market conditions, and concerns about potential tax reform. We also think that there could be some larger deals come forward. Uh, this would include some of the divestitures coming out of waste management, advanced disposal, that combination. And there have been reports that some infrastructure funds are looking to sell their waste operations as well. So cover a lot of ground in the solid waste sector. Uh, Jeff, you also cover some specialized waste businesses. I guess, what trends are you seeing in those markets? Yeah, so uh, let me talk about two separate components within the specialized or hazardous waste area. I'm going to start with industrial waste. Um, these are companies like Clean Harbor, CLH, and U.S. Ecology, ECOL. They provide environmental services to a broad range of companies, ranging from the chemical industry to manufacturing to oil and gas. Now, they tend to be tied a bit more to economic cycle than the solid waste companies are, um, specifically when you look at industrial production within each of the verticals. A couple of weeks ago, ECOL provided a public update to the, imp uh, the COVID-19 impact on their business. Um, CLH has not said anything publicly, but we were fortunate to hold a virtual NDR with them um, that same week to gain some insight. Now, both these companies do generate the bulk of their revenues from environmental services, and both are seeing slowdowns in their end markets. Um, they also both do have emergency response businesses that's involved in cleanup efforts. So obviously those businesses are increasing when, you know, companies want to clean up if they think there's been some sort of uh, coronavirus in, 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 uh, infection in their areas. But the increase in their businesses are not enough to offset the slowdown in environmental services. Now, they both also have oil and gas exposure, but in different ways. CLH generates about 34% of its revenues from what's called its safety clean business. Now, it provides like parks washing services for auto repair shops. And while that may not be tied directly to oil and gas, it is tied to miles driven, which has slowed. And about a quarter of the safety clean business is in its used motor oil refining business. We talked a little about that with GFL. Again, it's a spread business, but the spreads are narrowing. So that's impacted them there. Um, ECOL, U.S. Ecology, on the other hand, um, just made an acquisition at the end of last year, a company called NRC, that actually had a sizable EMP waste business. That's about 12% of their revenues. Just like with the solid waste guys that have exposure there, um, that business has slowed down dramatically. So kind of a double whammy for these guys. Let me finish off on a second uh, sector within specialty waste, and I'll talk about Stericycle, SRCL. That's a company known for its medical waste business. Now, it's been a very controversial stock but one that's been rebounding over the past year. We've had new management come on board. They focused on improving operation, divesting some core businesses, and cleaning up the balance sheet. I do think that's going to continue, but unfortunately, they've not been immune in, in, in this uh, crisis as well. Now, you would think medical waste, that should be a good business. Everybody's going to hospitals. It's the biggest business they have. It's about 53% of pro forma revenues. Volumes have been increasing, but like most other collections businesses, it's a services-based business. So increasing volumes doesn't really help much. Now, they probably do have new governmental customers from these testing centers, from some of these pop-up hospitals, but they also have a lot of smaller quantity customers like doctors and dentist's offices that have been closed. So I don't think the new incremental customers are enough to offset that lost business. They also have another business called Shredit, 
which as you would think, uh, does exactly that. It picks up office paper, use office paper and the like. Now, of course, most of our offices are closed, and we believe many of these companies have put their pickup on hold. Now, there are some cost savings since there are fewer pickups, but again, probably not enough to completely offset the loss of business. Mixed paper prices have also not been rebounding because India, which had been the largest buyer of these materials, is in severe lockdown, dramatically reducing demand for these products. So um, we do like the solid waste companies better right now with everything that's going on when you, look at, when you compare that to some of the industrial waste companies. So, so Devin, I know you, you and I have been talking to a lot of clients. I'm just curious, what's been the biggest pushback? What are clients asking you about? So I'd say one of the main questions that we've been getting in recent weeks, uh, and this wouldn't just be for the waste names, but for our overall coverage is on leverage and liquidity. You know, for the solid waste players, uh, balance sheets, uh, they're in good shape uh, with companies, uh, you know, with leverage targets or leverage within targeted range or, or sometimes below. And we think access to capital remains uh, remains pretty good for the group. Now, GFL's leverage is something we get asked about, uh, I'd say, pretty frequently. Uh, you know, on a pro forma basis, we think net debt to EBITDA is around 4.2 times uh, post the IPO. So a bit higher than the group. However, we're expecting free cash flow to ramp up. Uh, and we see a path for leverage to get down closer to the peer range over the next few years. And we also think that the current valuation discount, I would say, more than compensates for the higher leverage profile. So getting a lot of questions on the expected offsets uh, to the revenue softness, softness as well as the near-term outlook for M&A. I think we've covered these topics already. Now, one of the main pushbacks we're getting uh, is on the resumption of the CPI plus pricing environment that we had heading into this slowdown. I think this ultimately depends on the shape of the recovery. You know, V-shape recovery, I think pricing would come back uh, pretty close to where it was rather quickly. A more gradual or U-shaped recovery, this could make pricing rebound a bit slower and maybe takes away some of the pricing momentum. I think still above CPI, but likely below prior levels. And then if we get an L-shaped recovery or we even enter into a more pronounced recession, we'd expect pricing to trend closer to CPI uh, until demand and industry capacity uh, realign. So, Jeff, I'm going to turn it back over to you, maybe to wrap things up and maybe go over our pecking order of the waste names that we cover. Great. So I think we both agree that Waste Connections, WCN, is considered the best solid waste company in the business, at least by Wall Street. People look at them, top management team, highest margin, best returns. You just check off the boxes they have it. But it is also trading at the highest valuation on virtually every metric you look at. Um, We would then rank Waste Management, WM, and Republic Services Group right behind that. But we do believe as investors get more comfortable with GFL, that that stock could approach and possibly even pass the valuation levels of at least WM and RSG. But that's going to take some time, and especially in this environment, investors are probably going to gravitate more towards companies that they're more familiar with. But we do think that GFL would appeal more to our SMIT investors, and uh, we'd rank GFL at the top of the pecking order among the waste services names in that area. So, Hari, let me turn it back over to you. Thank you to uh, Devin and Jeff for the uh, great discussion on waste services. Thank you also to our listeners. If you do have any questions, please contact Devin or Jeff directly or your BMO salesperson. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, 
Thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.